<clears throat> so many of us, uh, maybe you had this offer, this uh, experience that I've had, both as a child and now as a father. I can remember at times my dad was uh, a busy guy. He was a farmer. He was also involved, heavily involved in our local church, and that meant that there were times in the week where he had to simply go away. He'd come home, have dinner, then have to go back into town for a meeting or something of that sort. And I can remember as a child just sort of whining, why are you leaving? Where are you going? Why do you have to go? And the question I'm really asking in that, and maybe you've heard that asked of your own children or your own grandchildren, maybe you've asked the question of a parent, the question really isn't so much where are you going, that's really kind of inconsequential. The question really is, why are you leaving me, right? I actually uh, find it kind of heartbreaking. One of the greatest things in my life is being a dad, and I love it that my kids mostly are happy when I come home. And my kids are mostly not happy when I have to leave in the evening. Where are you going? Why are you leaving me? Why are you leaving us? This is actually the question that's on the lips of the disciples the night before Jesus was crucified. This is the question that's on the lips of the disciples, and we find it in John chapters 13 through 17, as Jesus talks to them the night of his betrayal. They ask the question, where are you going? But what they're meaning, what they're really saying is, why are you leaving us? And they ask this question precisely because Jesus has told them that he is going away. Near the end of John chapter 13, extending through the rest of John chapter 17, Jesus prepared his disciples for his leaving, his departure. He wasn't just talking about the coming crucifixion. He wasn't just talking about the days he would spend dead. No, in John 13 through 17, as Jesus prepares his disciples for his leaving, he's preparing them for his ascension. And Jesus, as he prepares his disciples for his ascension, they're asking the question, why are you leaving us? Jesus responds by saying, it's for your good that I'm going. Most times when my children ask me, where are you going? Why are you leaving? I'm able to say, I'll be back soon. I'll be back in short order. My physical presence would once again come into this home. My dad, I could say to my dad, where are you going? Meaning, why are you leaving me? My dad would say, I'm going to come back. But Jesus says he's going to a place that his disciples cannot follow. He says he's going to a place and he's going to remain far away. How is it possibly good, then, that he goes? How is it possibly good that he can respond to them in their cry, their hurt? Where are you going? Why are you leaving us? How is it possible that Jesus can say it is for your good that I am leaving? What he's talking about here is the ascension, and what he's talking about here is Pentecost. Over the last couple of weeks here at Emmanuel Church, we've been talking about what I've referred to as the Holy Trifecta, these three acts of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to work out the redemption of sinful humanity. We've talked about crucifixion, we've talked about resurrection, and today we're talking about Trifecta Part 3, Ascension and Pentecost, these linked events, one event really, in which Jesus ascends into heaven, and the Pentecost and, and the Holy Spirit descends from heaven onto earth. And this is good. Even as the disciples say, why are you leaving us? This is for their good. 
This morning, as we take a look here at these events, the ascension of Jesus, the event of Pentecost, these inseparable events together forming the third piece of the Holy Trifecta, we see this single big idea. In the ascension, Jesus comes into the cosmic throne room as the conquering king, and he sends out the Holy Spirit to continue his work. And in order to see this, we're going to spend time together this morning in Revelation chapter 5, an odd place, I know. And we'll spend some time together in John chapter 16. When we think about the ascension, we think about this thing that Dorothy read. By the way, Dorothy, I must confess pastoral malpractice, making you read all of those wonderful names this morning. Well done. Pamphylia and Phrygia and Pontus and Galatia. That was amazingly well done. St. Luke gives us this earthly perspective of Jesus' ascension in Acts chapter 1. Dorothy read for us that Jesus gave his disciples this mission. He promises them power to to keep or to effect that mission. And then he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's it. That's all Luke tells us about what the disciples saw. But then in Revelation chapter 5 gives us a different angle, a different perspective on that same event, that event of Acts chapter 1. John That same disciple who saw Jesus lifted up in a cloud to take them out of their sight, John finds himself in the throne room of heaven in Revelation chapter 5. And contrary to Eric Clapton, there were tears in heaven because the one seated upon the throne had in his right hand a scroll that was sealed. And John tells us that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to take this scroll and open up the seals. No one was worthy to do it. And so he, John tells us, broke down and wept because it seemed as if the the plans and the purposes of the one seated upon the throne were going to be thwarted by the inability. But then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. One worthy had been found the one worthy to open up the plans and purposes of God, the one seated upon the throne, the Father Almighty, one worthy is none other than the lion, the root, the Davidic king, the promised Messiah. That's what John heard. And so he wiped his eyes, and then John turned, and he saw who that conquering king is. He tells us in John chapter 5, starting at verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? The lamb who had been slain. Who is the root of David? The lamb who had been slain. Who is the one who conquered? The lamb who had been slain. Who is that? That is Jesus. And so the one who was dead but is alive again, the one who conquered sin and death and hell and evil by taking upon himself the justice of God and offering himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, has now come into the cosmic throne room before the Father. It's Jesus. Crucified, risen, and ascended. He's worthy to take and open the scroll. He's worthy to rule as king of the cosmos. He's worthy to unfold and rule over that which God intends for all of time and history. Why? Because he was crucified and he's resurrected. Because he's accomplished that which God has given him to accomplish. Because he's victorious and because his work of victory is sure and final and complete. He's now ascended 
as the cosmic king. That's fantastic. It's really great news for us. But there's more to this. Notice what the lamb possesses in Revelation chapter 5. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, folks, sometimes in Scripture, let's just be, let's be perfectly clear. Sometimes in Scripture, a number is just a number. Sometimes a number is just a number. But there are certain numbers in certain contexts that merit special attention. The number seven is one of them. And so here in Revelation chapter 5, we have the number 7 mentioned a couple of times. It does us well to pay attention to what's being said. In Scripture, the number 7 is the number of perfection. It's the number of fullness. And so we see that the lamb has the perfect horn, the perfect eyes, the fullness of the spirit. And whatever those things may be, the first thing that we notice about the lamb possessing these things is that he has them in their fullness in perfection. But what are they? A British theologian by the name of Richard Bauckham, he studied and written at length about the book of Revelation, and what he says makes a lot of sense to me. These things are representative of the power of his victory and representative of the one divine Holy Spirit that he sends out. And so think about this. Why is it good that Jesus goes away, ascends into heaven? Because he does so with full victory, with full power. And he does so with the fullness of the Holy Spirit to then turn around and give out. The seven spirits are the presence and the power of God on earth. Notice what is said in Revelation chapter 5. John says that he saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The seven spirits of God, the one divine, holy, perfect, full, complete spirit. What John is seeing in Revelation chapter 5 is the last leg of the trifecta. He's seeing the ascension and Pentecost as one cosmic and timeless event that occurred within time and history. He's seeing the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to his disciples and to the church. He's seeing the conquering king ascend and the Holy Spirit descend. He is seeing exactly why it is good news, good for the disciples and for the church that Jesus goes away. Because he goes away as the king who has conquered and is alive, and he goes away so that the Spirit may come. In the ascension, Jesus comes into the cosmic throne room as conquering king, conquered through crucifixion in his resurrection. And he sends out the Holy Spirit to continue his work. Let's turn now and and look at John chapter 16. We we step into that upper room to hear Jesus prepare his disciples for his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Jesus clearly states that he is going away, and he clearly states that it is good for you that he goes away. It's good for the disciples and by extension for the church, that's us, that Jesus ascends into heaven. His ascension means that the work of redemption is accomplished, that the crucifixion was satisfactory. He is worthy to open the scroll to rule and reign. 
It is good news for us that Jesus ascended into heaven because that means there is the end of striving. Your good works will not save you. It is good news because it means his victory is complete. The evil we contain, our sinful behaviors, our sinful personalities, our sinful nature can be undone, overthrown, destroyed by the blood of the Lamb. And we can have new life in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because he ain't here. He's ascended. Praise the Lord for that. That is good news. A fundamental reality for who we are as believers in Jesus is that his work is sufficient. He's ascended. But it's also good for us that he has ascended because he sends the Spirit out. This is what happens on Pentecost. As we've heard read this morning, on that morning of Pentecost, after the ascension, the Spirit falls upon the church. And it's good news that the Spirit falls upon the church precisely because of what the Spirit has come to do. In John chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. He says, that Jesus says, the Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And then he says, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The ascension of Jesus is good news because Pentecost follows. And the Holy Spirit is good news because he comes to continue the work of Jesus in the lives of those who believe. What does he do? He comes to take the things of Jesus and apply them to the heart and the mind of those who believe. The Spirit comes to take the things of Jesus and help those who believe understand more and more. The Spirit comes to make Jesus a very present reality in the lives of all who would believe. And this ministry of the Holy Spirit is a Christ-centered ministry as the Spirit continues to teach and proclaim that which Jesus taught and proclaimed as the Spirit glorifies Christ. In this work, the Spirit acts for the good of God's people in Jesus Christ. He acts for the glory of God, and he acts for the world. You see, Jesus makes it explicitly clear. It's good that he goes away for the believers, the disciples, but it's also good that he goes away for the life of the world. Look at John chapter 16, starting at verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit comes to continue the work of Jesus in the life of the believer, but also in the world. If you read the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a vital aspect of Jesus' work in the world, and thus the Holy Spirit's continuing mission, is the revelation of the world's pretensions and delusions. The world thinks it is pure, it has no sin, and yet it doesn't believe in Jesus. The world thinks it's righteous, that it's right in its words and in its actions. The world thinks its judgments are just. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal the world's depravity and sin. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal that the world's righteousness is just dirty rags. The Holy Spirit comes to reveal that the world's judgments are upside down and perverse. The Holy Spirit's work of conviction is actually gracious. 
Because as it does this revealing work, it also, the Spirit also calls all who have ears to believe in Jesus. And so it is, the Holy Spirit comes to work in the life of a believer, to work in the church, but the Holy Spirit also comes to shine the light of truth into the dark night of deception and reveals that the rule of this world stands judged by Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was slain and has ascended as the conquering king. It's good for Jesus to go because the Spirit comes, and the Spirit comes with power to continue Jesus' work in the church and in the world. And so it is, in the ascension, Jesus comes into the cosmic throne room as conquering king, and he then sends out the Holy Spirit to continue his work. That's good for us to ask the question, what difference does this all make? Yes, it's great on a Sunday morning as we sit together in our, our club together, we celebrate, we worship together, but what difference is this really going to make on a Wednesday afternoon? I don't know about you guys, I'm not exactly that camel from the Geico commercials who thinks hump day is the best day. <laughs> what difference does this make when life isn't easy and good? The last leg of the holy trifecta, the unified work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is the Ascension and the Pentecost. And I believe that this makes a huge difference for the life of an individual believer and for the church. First, this. The Ascension means Jesus' work is perfect. The Ascension means Jesus' work on the cross and in the resurrection is complete. The Ascension means that there is nothing that we can do to earn salvation. Rather, what we do is we receive it by grace through faith. That's fundamental to who we are. And that's really, really good news. In a world that strives to be better, in a world that strives to perform, in a world that strives to get ahead, it's really great news to realize that in my failing, spiritually speaking, Jesus paid it all. Now, we have the other side of it. The, the really great news is that in the ascension of Jesus, the Spirit, there is a descension. That's also great news because fundamentally speaking, from the Word of God itself, we cannot believe in Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit to give us life. On a night in John chapter 3, in a conversation with a rabbi named Nicodemus, Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit. But the lamb who was slain has received and now poured out. And so we have to understand that the ascension and Pentecost form a fundamental reality of being truly human. The Holy Spirit is given to each believer in Jesus. One cannot be said to believe in or have Christ without also having the Spirit Christ gives. We have to recognize this, that each person, as they come to faith in Jesus Christ, receives the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Lord and giver of life. Each believer in Jesus has the Spirit of truth who works to guide them into the truth of Jesus. Each believer in Jesus has the Spirit that glorifies Jesus, who declares the things he has heard from the Father and the Son. Each individual has received power from God to be made different and holy, conformed to the image of Jesus. Why? Because we've earned it? No, because those who believe in Jesus receive it. Every single man, woman, and child who trusts in Jesus has received this gift of the Holy Spirit. 
<coughs> coming over the coming weeks, we'll talk more about what this means to have the gift of the Holy Spirit for our life in Jesus. But for this morning, let this truth seep into you. Marinate the, in this so that on a Wednesday afternoon, this is deep within our morrow. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have received the Holy Spirit. Second, the promise of the Holy Spirit is hugely important for the life of the church. While each individual receives the Spirit, there's a corporate reality to what the Spirit is doing. In fact, one of the great storylines of all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, one of the great storylines of all of Scripture is God gathering a people to himself out of scattered humanity. And in the language of the New Testament, the people of God are those who are gathered to the church of his Son through the Spirit. And as the people of God are those built together by the Spirit, the people of God are then enlisted into mission, empowered by that same Spirit. And so the church has the mission of continuing the work of Jesus. The church has the mission of working with the Spirit in doing the things the Spirit does. Showing the world sin, showing the world righteousness, showing the world judgment, pointing the world towards Christ and glorifying Christ. The church has the missional call to be different than the world and to reveal to the world its darkness, its sin, inadequate righteousness, and perverse judgments. The church has the mission of showing to the world the only one who can save, that is Jesus the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb who was crucified but is risen and is ascended. Here at Emmanuel Church, this missional call is reflected in the words of our vision to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom. Folks, it takes a church to do this, but more than that, it takes the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. And the Spirit is promised. The Spirit has come into time in history because Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, is alive and has ascended. In the ascension, Jesus comes into the cosmic throne room as conquering king, and there he sends out the Holy Spirit to continue his work in individuals and in the world through the church. What a promise this is from God himself. What a reality this is that Jesus has accomplished and what a difference this truly does make. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, as we continue our worship this morning and sing you praises, we pray that we would be a people of Ascension and Pentecost. Lord, we pray that this truth, Christ crucified, risen, and ascended, the Holy Spirit sent out, that this would be a fundamental reality for who we are. Holy Spirit, come and be at work. Form us more and more into the image of Jesus. Convict us and encourage us. Break us down and build us up. And in all of that work, we pray that you would glorify Christ, the name above all names, the name, the only name that really matters. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.